tonight a little bit. And just always, you know, the captain of the ship that he's going across the Atlantic or the Pacific, every once in a while he has to check in and make sure he's on course. You know, he's got to send up a signal or look at the star or whatever so that he doesn't run into an iceberg and send it to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> so we're going to just take the Word of God and, and align ourselves tonight. But let me tell you what we're doing here at River Church. Let me tell you what the big picture, because you may, I think, I think uh, President Trump, Trump's been misunderstood and I don't want to make this political, but I think every once in a while he needs to explain this is what we have to do to get to where we want to go. And so I want to do that tonight just for a minute. We're, going to t we're talking about atmospheres. We're changing the atmosphere over our city. You know, we're not holding crusades where we talk them into getting saved or filled with the Holy Ghost. And logistically, that might be very challenging for us now. If the Lord told us to, we'd, 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 uh, we'd go rent Bryant Denny for the evening. <laughs> and that, that day could come. But right now, what we have to do, that might not even do any good unless we change the atmosphere. And that's something that a few people can do. It doesn't take a lot, but it does take a concentrate. You know, when you... Uh, Get a can of orange juice out of the freezer. You cannot, you cannot thaw that and drink that. It's a concentrate. You have to, so a little goes a long way. Well, we are concentrated. We are stout. You may not know how stout we are because we've become common among our own selves to just believe what we believe. But if you get outside of this atmosphere, you are concentrated. So let me ask you, I want you all to respond to me tonight. If we were going to change the atmosphere of our city, what should we do? What would be things that we would do at River Church that would be a part of our lifestyle, a part of who, what we're doing? With, if we all had the intent, we came together in the same mind, the same judgment, and said we must transform the atmosphere over Tuscaloosa to be miracle-minded. Create an atmosphere for miracles. Now, y'all understand that atmosphere is not inherent in our city right now. If you've talked to anybody, they're like, what? You know, and I've talked to people that are desperate for a miracle. I mean, just beyond desperate. They're on the edge. They're, they're, they're handicapped, and it's getting worse. And I said, come, we've got an atmosphere for miracles set up, and you can be changed. Well, now, when is that? Well, that's third Saturday. Okay, I'll probably write that down and be there. And they never have shown. So we don't have an atmosphere. What would we do? What's one thing we would do? Somebody say. Pray. We'd be a praying church. Would that change the atmosphere for miracles? Very good. What, what else would we do if we were going to change the atmosphere? Be a loving church. Be a loving church. Amen. So we would be a church that loves and had a heart for our city. We loved our city. What else? We would have a, a declaration because the act says there's a sound that goes out over our city. Very good. Very good. So we would be a declaring church. That would be somewhat in prayer maybe, but we would also have times where we just declared, and then we would, we would declare the word here together. What else? Anything else that we could do or should do? What would be a church that changed the atmosphere be doing in, in my office? Oh, oh, okay, at work, yes. Truly, isn't that amazing? The world says, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So we would just go where we were. 
So that'd be our office, it'd be our neighborhood, talking about miracles. What else? Anybody got anything else that a church would take up to change? God said, I want this atmosphere changed for miracles, and I want it done now. Yes, sir, we're on it. What would we be getting together and saying? Well, this is what we got to do. Anybody else? Worship. Wouldn't that change the atmosphere? <laughs> I, would, I would definitely say so. So we would, have, we would lift up Jesus as the king of our city and give it to him and worship him for being a good Lord. Anybody else got anything? Our homes. To, so we would be concentrated at home so that when we got out, we could in our homes. Did y'all hear that? Going after miracles in our homes so that when we got together, we would just testify, just want you to know this is what God's doing. Is there another one? Surely there is. Y'all are miracle people. We've been, we've been after miracles now for five years since we moved over here. Before that, but for sure five years here. That's it, Annette. Testimonies change the atmosphere. Because what do testimonies say? God wants to do it again. That's what a testimony says. So, either, you know, just because you got your bills paid and you got your leg healed, okay, great, but what about me? Well, God wants to do it again. That's, that's powerful. We're talking about what a church would do, Shanita, that wanted to change the atmosphere in their city to miracles, have a miracle atmosphere so that wherever you went, they would not, if they didn't talk about miracles, they would be open to miracles. They would not resist. Powerful. All right. Have I got y'all thinking? Turn with me to Mark chapter 15, if you would. So we're talking about atmospheres tonight, but we're also continuing our series from Sunday morning on the promise keeper. Our God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises. All right. Amen. He keeps his promises. And your experience with the promises is not God's experience. And so we are changing. Remember that scripture in Matthew 25 where the master has three servants and divides his goods, five, two, and one, and he sends them out, and the first two uh, report back. And he, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, we've always talked about that word faithful. And that's what one thing River Church has to be, easily persuaded to believe. We have to take the promises and say, I didn't know that was in there. And I didn't know that could mean that. But now that I do, I am changed because I'm easily persuaded to believe. Now, a lot of people I talk to and you talk to, they're not easily persuaded. It's like you got to run down some testimonies and tell them about somebody or somewhere, and then they might let you go a little further. But we, when we hear about gold dust, we're, I'm in. Are y'all in? <laughs> Amen. And we're just like, yeah, what, gold fillings, we're in. Legs lengthening, not too hard for God, I believe it. Look what it says in Mark, Mark 16, verse 15. Let's go back a verse and see something that you might not have seen before. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So 
Go into the world, that's every man's world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Now look in verse 16. Let's look at it different than we always have. He that believeth. Now who is that? That's the ones that got preached the gospel. Now we've, not, we've always started in 16 and said it about us. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Who are those that believe? They were the creatures that you and I preached the gospel to. So believers, true believers, are believers that in his name cast out devils, speak with new tongues, uh, take up servants, drink poisonous things, it won't hurt them, and lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. It's such a powerful and an irresistible gospel that when they hear it, when the creature, the creation hears it, they believe. And when they believe, what do they believe? Well, we've just said, well, they believe in Jesus. But even the demons believe and tremble, don't they? Everybody believes in Jesus, almost always, even the atheists. If you get them down on the count and they come in with hospice, they even believe. They, they're like, oh, okay, I... I uh, nobody wants to take a chance on, on holding on up their convictions. So believers, the gospel we're preaching is so that believers believe in laying hands on the sick. There's no place where the gospel is, is proclaimed where the gospel leaves out healing, where it leaves out miracles. Nowhere is it proclaimed. Well, we're, we're preaching the gospel that Jesus is the Savior and that he wants to come in your life and regenerate it. And that's the gospel. It's never there. Even in Luke 4.18, he, Jesus talks about it from Isaiah saying, you know, all those things that are there, this is the gospel. So we've been fooled in the sense of the church world to believe that you could just preach Jesus, uh, just preach a heaven, just preach a shunning of hell, and that you've preached the gospel. And you have not. Because people don't care that much. They do care some about their eternal life if it's convenient, if it's not a cost, if it's like, what does this cost? Well, you just sign, join the church. Ah, sign me up. How much does that cost? Ah, we'll even let you into our Friday night fellowship dinners, and you can eat macaroni and cheese with us, and it won't cost anything. It's so free, and yet it's a great cost to be a disciple. Thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus great cost to change lords so he that believes these signs signs follow believers and there's some line in there where if you don't have signs following you can't be verified as a believer you know the standards higher so here's what we're doing at river church because we believe i believe that america the american church is cultured that there's places that have always been in foreign churches, foreign as in Africa, the Philippines, other places where you can't even be a pastor until you've raised someone from the dead. So that means you have to go apprentice with somebody, be on staff with somebody that has raised from the dead and is a pastor or an apostle or a bishop or something. And you actually stepped in there when, uh, when uh, 
when he was out and you raised someone from the dead and all of a sudden you are qualified to be a pastor. But in America, Debbie's grandfather always said, he said uh, at that church we went to, that assembly, he said, anybody that can borrow a Bible can preach here. You know, the pastor was always wanting to get out of preaching the service. Yeah, if you can borrow a Bible, you can preach here. And we had some of them that truly, <laughs> can I borrow your Bible? Like I preached tonight. <laughs> so uh, that's not us. The American church has been cultured. And um, the American church is social. No matter how you justify and say, but we're doing good and they're being helped and it's good for people and, and the church ought to do it. Truly, truly. But it's, it's not the gospel. The church is, and they'll say, we just do that. But really, that's all they do. And the church is fearful. I've talked to people, some of them back in West Texas. You call them just, you know, you always use your kin folks because they'll tell you more than anybody else. But they're pretty standard in their denomination. They're not weird from other there. They pretty re much represent. And if anything comes up, Anything comes up in the nation, in politics, if they get a bump on their body, they're wiped out. Do you all know those people? They're very fearful. So why, where are they going to church and what are they hearing? Well, whatever it is, it's not the gospel. Because the good news swallows up the bad news. It gives you a Psalm 91 resiliency and a, and a form about you that says, well, it may say so, but I'm, we're going to pray and something good's going to happen. So um, they substitute social work for setting the captives free. Say that with me. Setting the captives free. Now, family here, we, we're at River Church. We're not social. Have you all noticed? Now, we, we love each other and we do things among each other, but we do not structure ourselves around social things. And, and some people lament that. And, 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 and there's plenty of room outside of the church structure for us to get with one another and do and go and be, and that's all wonderful. That's a part of the Christian life, and we ought to do that. But, but as a church, we don't steer towards that. We steer towards being equipped to set the captives free. And, and truly, if... People that don't want to set the captives free and are looking for a social gospel, we don't fit very good, do we? But there's churches that are totally mission, and some people don't want to do missions, and so they don't fit there. And there's other churches that do uh, totally children's ministry, and they're retired, and they don't fit. They're, they're, it, we're not saying we're different, as in peculiar. We're just one that is our niche, or that's our style. So... Um, so these, these Christians, these other Christians, I'm just trying to differentiate between them and us. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the word, uh, but they have never come to the place of developing a purpose or a calling in their life. Do you all know there's a calling on your life? Well, you're very unique because you think everybody, all Christians believe that. They do not believe that. A survey uh, that they did, Barna did that uh, survey, and almost 70% of Christians polled thought it was their job to be a Christian was to have a higher level of pleasure and enjoyment and social activity. They, they thought that was the intent of the church besides going to heaven. What do you do on earth? 
well, you have this new social network. You have a new so-called church family, and we do things together, and we have the same interests, and we have the same. We gripe about the preacher, and we they don't we don't like the way the colors are in here. It's it's that's what most people think that are Christians, but that's not what we think. The color of the carpet never comes up unless we just ask informally around. What do you think? You know, but we do not ever get to a vote where you have. Well, that idiot, what are they thinking? You know, and, and set yourself up to be mad at one another. We just don't have votes over stuff that's not, <laughs> that's not going to change the kingdom. Because then people just like, I can't believe Garland believes that way. He wants gold in that room when everybody knows green would be good. So um, we are training the saints to minister. I want to go back to Mark 16 where it says, preach the gospel to every creature. They that believe will be saved, they'll be baptized. And they that don't believe, they'll be damned. And these signs shall follow those that believe. So we have a standard among ourselves to believe these five things, which are representative, certainly not the end list. Are you all with me tonight? Okay. So we speak with new tongues. It's not optional. It's not like, well, you know, whatever. We We press. Not press on people, but we press it in our gospel that that part of life, you need it. You got to have it to be able to cast out devils, to be able to drink any poisonous thing and it not hurt you. Amen. And to lay hands on the sick, you need to speak with new tongues. But when you're when you're confronted for a, with a devil, it doesn't matter that you can speak with new tongues if you can't get out of that situation. Is it cold in here? Joey, it's cold. That's your, that's your signal. Okay. Turn with me to Proverbs 27, verse 17. Praise God. Y'all are still with me. Now, let me just get, uh, let me just spell it out, because you may wonder why we do or preach or stay on the things that we do. There's a, there's a plan. There's a method. And one of it is, is, is it wasn't said a while ago, but it's to preach a word to teach a word that's conducive for miracles to always bring in like Gannett said to be reading testimonies to showing one on the video where somebody said I, I was this and Jesus y'all prayed and now I'm that and it's just glorious and but then to preach that miracles are easy miracles are common miracles are the flow and that you and you and you can do miracles. You have to preach that all the time because this stuff will fade away. It'll fade. So it's like, well, you need to do that one week every 10 or 15? Every week. It's a different subject. It's a different aspect. It's a different facet. It's a different, and there's other things in there that help us live and grow and relate and get the victory, but it always comes back to our God is an awesome God. And if there's a situation where he doesn't look awesome, then we will go in and intervene and bring awesome to the situation. We will have awesome everywhere and every time. That's who we are, and that's what we do. So uh, this ministry, River Church ministry, is for the hungry. It's for people that come to be fed. It's not for the casual observer. It's not like, well, you know, when's this, you know, that sort of thing where they, you know, no one's ever waved their watch at me. 
But on the other hand, I'm very, I think that, you know, I talk to all my pastor friends and they're all like, ah, they got to have 12.15 or 12.30 or they don't think they've been to church. Well, you know, they all know they've been to church, some of them. I, <laughs> they know. And so we, we, we endeavor to say, God, you can do this so that we're not whooped and beat up and get out before 12 and all that sort of stuff if, if, there's, if we can. And so um, we have to have prayer. That was mentioned. To have an atmosphere of miracles, we got to be a praying church. Would you all agree with that? That you'd be amazed if someone says, we've got a dynamic miracle church and we never pray. And you'd go, uh-huh, something's wrong here. You just would say, this can't be, they, they just cannot two plus two equals what you're saying. It can't be. And so we, we pray so that when we meet the captives, we can set them free. Now in the healing center, we have two, healing, we have two perspectives here. We have people that, that, uh, that when they come in, they need help. They do not know, and they, they have a tangled life, and things have got a hold of them, and we work with them and untangle some things and work with them and, 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 and bring them, and they're willing to do that. But there's another side that we are not in these four walls. Say four walls. We don't, we don't, we're not even looking for a cathedral building. Pastor, when are we going to get a cathedral? When are we going to get one with the steeple? You know, we're just, hey, Jesus wants to bring us one. That would fit Ephesians 3.20, exceeding abundantly above. All we could ask or imagine. But we're not setting our budget up and setting money aside to, to get that kind of building. Now, we want to fix this one up. We want to make it perfect as it can be. And if the Lord leads us to another one, that's fine. But we're not sitting back saying, oh, when can we have it? Because part of our ministry is not even in this building. We need to be able to confront people like someone said, Debbie said, like in the offices where you just find somebody and help them there. Or like when Eric and Anita would go to Lowe's or Target or whatever, where you just go treasure hunting and you just look for people. And you go, oh, there's a pink shirt with a unicorn on it. And you go over and say, hey, and you don't, you don't, you don't try to fix them. You just lay hands on them because they've got a gimpy leg and watch Jesus demonstrate. And they're excited and you just trust God to take that another, you've planted the seed and you, you just take, you trust God. God used that. We're one step. You, you go the next step. So here we are at River Church. Here we are. Listen, we're seeding the atmosphere for miracles. For the supernatural. We're seeding it every week. Every week you come, the songs we sing, the messages we bring, the, the everything we do, children's church, every in the nursery, it's to get the supernatural to, to subdue our natural. That we would come under and be a supernatural people because we're not just in it for ourselves. We have a city to win. And we can't do it numerically, so we do it by seeding our atmosphere, lifting up thanks unto God. We take the prophetic words spoken over our church and over us individually and over our city, and we speak those forth. That's something else that we didn't say, is proclaiming what God has said. He loves for us to say and believe what He has said and believed. And we'll look at some of that. 
So this is a church of heart. If you don't have heart, there's just there's just a an inherent atmosphere where you got to get heart or you're just not going to be comfortable not having heart. And everybody here has heart. I listen. And you go, "I wonder how come somebody left or somebody didn't, you know, they 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 lost heart. They wanted a natural life. They were doing they wanted a social gospel. They hadn't confronted a problem in their life that they couldn't medically or financially do on their own and they were willing to take their chances. I'm not. I've seen what he can do, the devil can do and everything. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpeneth iron. Now that, that's, it says, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Well, we're all friends and more in here. And our job is to sharpen one another. I can give you a thousand scriptures, well, a hundred anyway, that bring this out. But this tells it best. We're sharpening. And sometimes when you put the file to the axe, there's another place that says, quit trying to chop the tree down with the dull axe, sharpen the axe and it'll go down. We're sharpening the axe all the time here. And we all know it. I'm coming in for a sharpening because my life has got a little dull and we're coming in to get sharpened. Wouldn't it be a shame to come to church to dress up and, and, uh, and come and do and go and go away dull as you came? It'd be a shame. It'd be wrong. So we're, we're saying about heart, we either have it or we say we're something else. We just either we're, we say we're a supernatural church or we admit we're something else. But I say River Church is a supernatural revival church. It's our intent. It's our purpose. And it's what we're doing mechanically to do it. Don't go there. But uh, Psalm 42, 7 says, deep calleth unto deep. And that's what we do at River Church. We want the deep things of God. We've mastered the superficial. Well, most of us have been Christians for decades, <laughs> and we've mastered all that. The biggest job we have right now is, is putting these basics into our children. And so we pull them aside and put that in there, but as soon as they catch that, then send them into the supernatural. Uh, James 5.15 says, The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Every one of us in here should be able to pray the prayer of faith until it saves the sick. And so an ideal church, in my mind, and you, I'm not saying that's what we have or what we will do, but in my mind, an ideal church would be that we were all coming in at every service and we would be adding our testimonies. You know, we'd come in and somebody would say, listen, I just want to tell you all, what God did over at work or in my backyard. Somebody came over to borrow the weed eater and, you know, I'd heard their story and I had a word of knowledge and it just set them free. We would tell that and it would build up and edify the congregation. But that um, we would also uh, uh, not so much pray for the sick in the services where you say, come go to my church and the pastor will pray for you, but that you just take care of it wherever you are, that you don't look to some ecclesiastical person to say, he can do it, but I'm just a lay person. See, we're, we're, we're running backwards from that. We're saying, no, we're all, we're all in the ministry. And so my job and Debbie's job would be, if anything, would be to set the tone 
and to bring the file, whatever kind of file it would be week to week, and we would sharpen the axe to look at a certain angle like that. First um, Timothy chapter 1, got just a few minutes here, let me look at this scripture. Now we've been talking about uh, the promise keeper, and tonight I want to just touch on the prophetic promises. We've been talking about how God keeps the written word. He keeps his promises that are written down. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's his promise. It's in everybody's Bible. God wrote it in everybody's Bible in the sense of spoke it to us. We take it and we put it into our heart, believing it, and then the weapons that are formed never do come to fruition against us. And that's those promises. But we find, I find that here in the Word, that it gives us license to take the prophetic promise, the ones that are not written down by the so-called hand of God, but yet uttered in His name, and says you can stand on them as well. It says in First First Timothy one eighteen, says this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So it's a help to put credence or weight on the spoken word, the prophetic word. In addition to, not taking the place of, not substituting, but adding it, because they're more personal many times, to your warfare list, to your weapons and your tools, and that it'll help you. This is what I have found, is that uh, the prophetic word, God, my experience is that he usually gives us a word out of season. If he gives you a word in season, so... Say, say, uh, Garland, let's just say, totally made up, but I'll say, uh, uh, he'll say, oh, yeah, Pastor, before the service, you know, uh, I'm going through a financial spot here. I just, I hadn't worked in 20 weeks, and it's just tough and everything. And then, so then I get up, and I prophesy. Thus saith the Lord, your finances are this, that, and the other. Could be accurate as it could be, could be spot on. It should be. But it's always suspect. I mean, it's not, but since we just had that soul conversation, had those words exchanged, and there's knowledge been changed, it's, it, only the Word of God separates it between the spirit and the soul. And so he might say, well, yeah, he gave me that word because I talked to him before. So he puts very little weight on that word. And I'm up here thinking, you know, I knew that, and I wonder where that came from. It's so cool for someone like me to go to another church where you don't know anybody. They're all just a sea of faces. And Holy Ghost then starts pulling out the guns and shooting everybody with the prophetic word. And then the pastor afterwards says, oh, yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it. That's what I told Brother Steve. I said, you are 100%. Well, you'd think a man like that doesn't need to know because he's so whatever. He needs to know because we're all just in this flesh body. And so usually I find that the prophetic word does not pertain to the day that it's spoken in, that God launches you a word that's going to be a key to your deliverance in advance. That's why we write down the words. It's like, it's like Microsoft or someone saying, we're going to send you some software. 
write this code down because we won't be able to get back to you and this code will open the software. When it comes in 10 weeks, you'll need this code. So in 10 weeks, you don't know where the code is, so you call them. Well, I'm in, you know, I got to put this in. You know, this number is not a working number. <laughs> you need that code. You should have wrote it down. You should have embraced it. You should have got it inside. The highest way is to get the word inside so that the trouble never comes. It's just like we, we whooped that dog before he ever came down the street. And that would be the way to do it. Um, we know this is true because the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, do you all know how varied they were? They were in book after book. They were in Isaiah. They were in Micah. They were, they were all over the Old Testament, and they prophesied specifics about the Lord Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it told exactly about him hanging on the cross and the purpose behind it and what he bore for us in redemption. And that was hundreds of years before it happened. But then another prophet, Micah, said, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And on and on and on. And it's, there's, it's 100%. Everything that was prophesied, it was written down, but it was still 100%. Well, it confirmed events that were coming and it explained them when they came. Now, we've gotten words. Let me just read you one. If I can find it. This came in 11. Now, that's way back. Michael and Debbie, as I was praying for you in your ministry this morning, the Lord gave me a word of encouragement for you. I've never sent a word from the Lord via email, but this is what he impressed me to do. The word, you are a light set upon a hill for all to see. My will and plans for you have not changed or altered. You are in my will doing my plan. My ways are higher than your ways, for I know the end from the beginning. Expect a new avenue of revenue to be opened up to you in the coming days. For I have resources you have not yet discovered. The things you have sought me about will shortly come to pass. It's a new day, a new beginning. Leave the past behind and I will release a fresh fire from heaven in your midst. What you thought was your demise is really my surprise. It's not the end, but you're just beginning. I turn your ashes to beauty and your mourning to joy. Now I'm telling you, this is gold sprinkled with diamonds. These words, this little black ink on that white paper, has, it's one of many words, but it has sustained us. It made us know we're on track, that God's not mad, God's not finished, God's not through, the devil didn't win. And then when money got tighter than a banjo string, not in the sense of didn't have any, but it was like, you're just, y'all you, have known when it was, the bill was 98 and you had 99. You know what that feels like. And, uh, uh, Somebody showed up and rented the building and ended up giving $6,000 a month for it. The first church, they didn't start out that way. But, and, and when we went up, you know, it's like, ah, oh, you can't get that. What if they quit? We had to have 6000 It was our need here. And they said, well, they, they, they grumbled, but then they paid it. And they never got mad after that. After the first month, it was all easy. But then... The Lord sent someone outside of state, outside of the church, and paid it off. P-A-I-D, paid off the building. And so a new avenue of revenue was coming. 
And we had not talked to her. There wasn't anything to talk about because in that day, everything was pretty cool. In 11, everything was, well, not pretty cool, but it was cool enough in 11. And she sent that saying, this doesn't fit, but it did fit later. And I'm just telling you this to let you know how cool God is. And he tells you things about your future and about our future that you could not know but that you need to know so you can disengage your mind and get it back in faith. You have the word. Well, God, here's the word. That's all we need. But he wants to speak to you and say, I got you in hand and it's okay. Or sometimes he'll say, make an adjustment. He'll say, you know, when you do this and when you do that, sometimes prophetic words fail not because they fail, but because we don't do what it says to do in the Word to make that turn. Um, listen to this. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, At the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So the Word, God will, He will, He'll begin to speak to you. We have um, a book we have 30 prophecies about Alabama, and I, we were going to do that tonight, but we went this way. But they're from the, from, from the middle of the 80s to just uh, last year, and they're all saying the same thing. They're all saying the same thing. Revival's beginning. It's beginning in Alabama, and this and that and the other, and it's like the Bible that was written over 15, 1,600 years by 40 different authors. We have these Alabama prophecies, and you can just see out of three witnesses that, uh, <laughs> that they all say the same thing. None of them say, you know, Alabama, you're old number 49, and this time Mississippi's in front of you. <laughs> Nevada is 50th, and Mississippi's in front of you, and ha-ha, I fooled you. We never got one of those. He always said, you're number one. One prophecy says there's three spiritual states. Iowa is the least spiritual, is not spiritual, but the most spiritual states are number one, Arizona, number two, Alaska, and number three, Alabama. But then he said, the word of the prophet was, but I'm going to use Alabama. So it's not like somebody's just getting up, you know, yay, yay, Alabama, that's all we can hear and all we can do. Alabama and Alaska were in front of us in that category. I'm just trying to bring a case that the prophetic word, though it's not scripture, it's powerful. And if you can wrap your faith around it, it'll change your life. Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three are gathered together in my name. Jesus said, two or three, there am I in the midst. I'll show up for church if there's two or three. We got enough to break loose and have several churches tonight if we just wanted to in that sense. Um, prophecy is not the end. I find that prophecy is an outline, that God gives you outlines. He kind of puts the hook in there and says, it's got a minnow on it, but if you'll follow this minnow, I'll, you know, I'll get you something bigger. That Holy Spirit wants you to see, wants to see if you will bite at the prophecy, if you'll write it down, if you'll read it, if you'll say, this is me, this is God's message to me. Then when you do that, he starts filling in the details. You get the outline, and then he fills in the details. So powerful. 
It's the same thing with the written word. It's the same thing that he does there. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. I would like for you to turn there. Now, River Church, I'm going to tell you, God's got some secrets for us, some mysteries. And he wants to tell us all of them. He wants us to be well-equipped. He does not say, I'm going to see if y'all are a faith church, so I'm going to send you out into Tuscaloosa, half naked and mostly afraid and don't have anything and don't know anything, and just to see, you know, how long it takes you to fall. He wants us to be stout and strong. And it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. I take that to mean that he will not tell you about your neighbor. Your secrets are safe. He's not telling Joey about, you know, J Jacob and saying, guess what I know, you know. But then it says, but the things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I take that to mean that God will tell you anything you want to know that you're willing to chase him for, to seek him where he may be found. He'll tell you. The reason we don't know is because we don't pursue. We take a prophetic word or we take a, uh, a word of wisdom for ourselves and just like, ah, Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'll put it up on the shelf. You know what putting it on the shelf means usually? Forgotten forever. It, gave, it means little value to that. He must knock me down for me to have any, put any value in that word. But you know, the Lord comes in the still small voice. He doesn't come banging and clanging and, and carrying on. He comes down in here, the witness and the, and the still small voice, and he, that's where he ministers. And a lot of these prophetic words, like that email we got from Miss Brenda, that was uh, from Brenda uh, but, uh, Sutherland, yeah. You know, she was, she just knew us through Pastor Buzzy. And the Lord had a vehicle. He had, we were on the party line with her, and so to speak, and she was able to say, Michael and Debbie, oh, I know them. He said, yeah, I want you to take this message down, and I want you to send it to him." And so she did. It doesn't really matter how it came, but it came. And we, we built a fence around it and said, this is our deliverance. Um, turn with me to Daniel. Daniel 2. I want you to see this. We're just re-indexing our data files tonight, so to speak, so that we'll always think right. It says in chapter 2 of Daniel, verse 19, Look at this. God's got secrets for us. He's got things that aren't, aren't out there in the public, that aren't out there in the magazines, not out there in the commentaries. Verse 19 says, This was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel had to come up with the answer. Um, there was pressure on him to come up with the answer. And then God blessed, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And then here it is. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changed the times and the season. He removed kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Verse 22, he revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. 
I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God my fathers, of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. You think the internet, you think Google knows a lot? You know, we joke, sacrilegiously I might add, that, you know, Google knows more than God as far as just the sense of the breadth and the width of it. It just seems like it's uh, unlimited. But it's not so. <laughs> and Google doesn't even have it right. God knows everything about everything, including every detail of your future. And it says here that he, uh, um, he knows the things that are in... He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. So the word of God, whether it's written or whether it's spoken, is valuable to us. The prophetic word many times is so personal that it means more, or it, it has to line up with the big word, the written word, but it's like God speaking to me about a situation. And it's so, so powerful. Uh, we know in Proverbs 4, it says wisdom is the principal, th principal thing. And so I would say that there's wisdom in the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and prophecy. Would you all say there's wisdom in those things? There's wisdom in those. And it says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. So... Ah, uh, we're on it. Steve Sampson said in December, this last December, he said, I asked the Lord for a dream for the church. I had a dream, and in it I was running around the house, and I was so excited because I was telling everybody, and I wrote it on the bathroom mirrors. Now, wisdom is fixing to come, isn't it? He's, fixing, he's not telling us about his dream. He's telling us about us. He said, live with expectation, Live with expectation. I feel like God is about to do something, and this is the assignment. So we're all paying attention. We're at attention. Live with expectation. I wrote it on the mirrors. God is up to something good. Now, that's a still small voice. That's not like I've hidden some jewels in locker B14 down at the train station, and I've got the key hidden under your neighbor's mat if you'll take it down. That wasn't that kind of word. It was like... Well, God, that is so ordinary and so, that's so, you know, anybody could say that. So really, God, really, you know, if it, you know, I'll go down to the train station, but really, it's the key. A friend of mine that got instantly healed of a terrible back injury in a meeting of mine is so grateful for that miracle that he calls me every Saturday night and says, where are you at? I want to pray with you. So he started praying for you, River Church. He didn't know anything about you and said that God is breaking down the wall of resistance. There has been an invisible force, unseen resistance. He mentioned witchcraft, an assignment of witchcraft. He said that your labor is getting ready to pay dividends. I said, amen. There will be more than enough, more light coming in and extreme clarity. The words spoken against you have been broken and the darkness is over. Well, it still looked dark, but I said the darkness is over. There's been plenty of seed sowed. There's an outpouring coming, and with it, a spirit of prosperity. The Lord said, if you think yesterday is good, just wait until tomorrow. 
Now, that goes with the word that was given to Alabama. Remember when we had Mary Fran? Y'all remember when we had Mary Fran? Whoo! She was good. Amen. And she came on in, in 07. And I went through, the, I was going through these prophecies about Alabama. This is number nine. And here's what I found. That which is to happen for Alabama is enormous in the spirit. The revival that belongs to Alabama is enormous. Alabama will be a trigger for this region and the rest of the United States. Alabama will do this thing, but you better believe that in the spirit realm that there is quite a warring going on about over Alabama. You keep bumping in and thinking you're getting ahead and coming into a breaking through time, and then you hit a wall. All hell broke loose in the summer of seven. Yeah, everything broke up in, in the pastor's family. Uh, not us, but, uh, you know. You've got to learn why that happens and what you do when you hit that place and know that God has declared an end result concerning Alabama. And if you believe it, then you speak it and you say it. You get yourself into a position where you can speak to those walls. You speak to those confrontations with great faith and tell it to move over and come down, dissipate. You've already got that authority, but you have to understand your region. There are certain powers and principalities that think that they have been there and that they have been there forever, and they say this is the way it is, and until there's a new heaven and a new earth, it is. But what walks in your streets tries to get into your doors. Now listen, family, right there it got personal. If you don't stop it in Alabama, it'll come to your house. It's not like, well, you know, I really don't have time to mess with Alabama because I'm really working on me. You take authority over it and you don't allow it. You learn to declare the end result and you tell hell no that this is how it is. Wow. Now, that word is like we're all sitting there going, what's up? You know, why, why Alabama with us? You know, we're just, we're, we're, we're coming to church and singing and praying and giving. And... But then this battle over Alabama, and it's here. And I got 30 just like that, 29 more that are like that, where God says, Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. And then he gives us a call about Alabama. You and me, all of us in River Church, and says, I want you to contend for it. So a church that has the power of revival will be a church that prays. We've got to get together and pray. We just, if we get together and just say no to the warring powers over our state and over our city. Do you all think there's some religious spirits over Tuscaloosa City? you all think that in 47,000 churches there might be a few religious spirits? I don't know how many churches there are. There's 3,000, 4,000. There's a bunch. We ought to find out. And uh, I say, let's get hungry for the supernatural. Let's settle down and just everybody come into agreement and say, we're winning. You know, Keith Moore says, when the devil has his heel on your neck, you're supposed to say, I'm winning. And you know, we're not, we're, we're full grown. And we are believers that believe. And so I'm just, I'm just putting the bar up there and saying, here we go. 
There's enough of us. Gideon had enough, and we've got more than, we've got a bunch anyway in the spirit. And besides, two puts 10,000 to flight. So it doesn't really matter, does it? Amen. Amen. Well, I have a whole bunch more, but we won't do any of it. Um, I, I want to read this that Pastor Moss gave us when he came in November of 15. He said, uh, he said, there's a river flowing through here tonight. The river church, that's what he calls us, the river church. Wherever the river comes to, there's life in it and there's healing in it. Out of the people who come here, out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And wherever that river goes, it's going to cause healing to take place because it's got life in it. If you want to move with this river, you got to be what you are. You've got to move in what realm that God has placed you. If he's called you to be something, you need to be that in that realm. You find out what you need to be at church. I've come to a river tonight that you can't cross over. This thing's big. This thing's huge. It's powerful. You've got to remember you have heaven in you. What's in that river? Heaven. There's people in here. You've got that river flowing out of you. This is River Church. And there's a river flowing out of it. Amen. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Well, I, you know, let me just tell you, I didn't exhaust the subject tonight. The Lord is merciful. <laughs> this little book that we did, y'all still have your little yellow book? Read that again. Go back and I read it this week. And it just, it was like Annette talked about. It's the testimonies. It's just a book of little testimonies that make you know we're not, ta we're not tapping out anything. There's more. There's more for us to do and see and, and to experience. And so we read that little book, um, and it helps. Amen. We love you. We love you, and we're excited about the word of the Lord for us. Does anybody need prayer tonight before we go? Everybody good? Does anybody have something to say? A testimony or a, a response to this word tonight or anything? Y'all are good? All right. I say yay and amen.